Today we continue in our series, Seeking God's Heart, and we've been studying the life of King David of Israel, who reigned about 1,050 years before Christ. We've applied lessons on being available to answer God's call to serve and having the courage to face our, our fears. And so today we study the aspect of being a loyal friend. Terry Lineball relates, upon arriving in our new home in, in Kentucky, our seven-year-old son, Jason, decided to explore the neighborhood. He was back within an hour telling us that he had made some new friends. Good, are they boys or girls? I asked. One is a boy and one is a girl, he said. That's great. How old are they? Mom, my son said, that would be very rude to ask. I was puzzled by his response, but about an hour later, Jason was back. Mom, he shouted through the screen door, I found out how old my new friends are. The girl is 65 and the boy is 70. (laughs) Well, friends come in all shapes and sizes and ages and varieties. I like what Will Rogers said. He said, a stranger is just a friend I haven't met yet. One of the most loyal friendships recorded in scripture was that of David and Jonathan. And we may have many casual friends and acquaintances that drift in and out of our lives, yet often the Lord brings a few people into our lives who deeply enrich and bless our time on this earth. They make an impact that lasts throughout this lifetime on into eternity. Well, after David defeated Goliath, we saw last week that that David moved into the palace and he became the best friend of the king's son, and that was Jonathan, who also was David's brother-in-law since David married Michael, the the daughter of Saul. We pick up the story in, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. It said, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him, and he did not return to his father's house. He he came just to to stay there at at the palace. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and and lutes. The lutes like a guitar mandolin. So as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. The Bible says, Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Today, I want to focus your attention on the truth that the loyalty of David and Jonathan sets a a standard for our friendships. 
And here in, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, where we're going to study today, there were four responses of a good friend that are, are detailed in this uh, friendship with David and Jonathan. The first thing we see is that a, a good friend is available. Now Saul had made three overt attempts on David's life and one veiled attempt. And then Saul swore to his son, Jonathan, that he would never try to hurt David again. And for some reason, David wasn't quite convinced after all that. And so we pick up the story in First Samuel chapter 20. Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he is trying to take my life? Never, Jonathan replied. You are not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything, great or small, without confiding in me. Why would he hide this from me? It's not so. And Jonathan was a little bit naive at, at, at this point. David took an oath. He swore and said, your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said to himself, Jonathan must not know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only one step between me and death. Jonathan was starting to, to, to get his eyes open. He said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll, I'll do for you. And that's the first thing we see. A good friend is available. A true friend is there for you, not just when it's easy or convenient. A true friend stands for what is right, even if it means going against family or, or against the majority. Jonathan was loyal to his friend David, even though that would mean that Prince Jonathan would never become King Jonathan. Bob Russell observed, we live in an age where loyalty is on the decline. It's becoming a vanishing virtue. Years ago, people were devoted to each other and faithful to their commitments, but loyalty has been replaced by fickleness and self-interest. The decline of loyalty is evident in business, he says. Employers deceive or terminate workers who've been with the company for years. Customers purchase according to the bottom line only, disregarding years of faithful service. Employees have little sense of commitment to the company. And then Bob goes on. Disloyalty is apparent in the church too. As soon as the slightest problem arises, some people flippantly say, well, I'll just leave the church. Loyalty to a fellowship is replaced by a consumer mentality. What's in it for me? I'll go as long as my needs are met, but if it gets boring or disagreeable, I'm bailing. And he's right. There's a shortage of loyalty in relationships, in, in churches, and in business. And sometimes it even invades families. Brothers and sisters don't always see eye to eye on, on every matter, but in a family, we may have differences of opinion, yet usually family members remain loyal to each other. You know, the thing that strikes me about this story is just the stark difference between David and Jonathan. David was, was from a large family. They were poor. They were blue-collar shepherds by trade. They lived out in the country. Jonathan was just the opposite. He was the son of King Saul. He was rich and royal. 
He lived in the palace. He was a city boy living in, in the, the capital city. He was the heir apparent to the Jewish throne. And David was probably about 18 years old when he killed Goliath. He married King Saul's daughter. He became an instant military success. But despite their differences, David and Jonathan became best friends. And the loyalty of David and Jonathan sets a standard for our friendships. The women would line up in the streets and sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul's jealousy turned to hatred. And desperately, Saul sought to kill David. On two occasions while David was playing the harp for Saul, Saul hurled a spear at David, attempting to impale his son-in-law. You may think you have a really tough father-in-law. I doubt it's as bad as as what David experienced. One night, Saul's men surrounded David's house, but David escaped, fleeing for his life. Jonathan demonstrated his loyalty to David in, in several specific ways. First, this willingness to help in in any way possible. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. And then second, this willingness to to keep a confidence. Uh, When he was told by David, hey, don't mention this to your dad, but I think your dad's trying to kill me. He he doesn't like me. He he kept that confidence and didn't run home and say, boy, David really said some wacky things. Daddy thinks that you're out to, to hurt him. What do you think about that? He, he could keep a confidence. He was, was trustworthy. We see this willingness to support his friend when others attacked. This wasn't the popular position to go against the king and decide with David. But he found out that, that his respect and love for David superseded even his, his family connection, his, his blood, because his father was in the wrong. And then there was this willingness to be honest with his friend. He said, if anything comes up that I learn, I'm going to tell you. I'm not withholding from you. I'm loyal to you. So Jonathan said to David, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. It just underscores that fact that a good friend is available. As we read on in 1 Samuel 20, we see that a good friend is accurate. Beginning in verse 5, David said, look, Tomorrow is the new moon festival. I'm supposed to dine with the king, but let me go and hide in the field until the evening of the day after tomorrow. If your father misses me at all, tell him David earnestly asked my permission to hurry to Bethlehem, his hometown, because of an annual sacrifice is being made for his whole clan. Now they're having this big family reunion, and that's why David had to miss the, the dinner. And if he says very well, then your servant is safe. But if he loses his temper, you can be sure that he is determined to harm me. As for you, show kindness to your servant as you have brought him into a covenant with you before the Lord. David's saying, hey, remember, we've promised before God that we're gonna have each other's backs. We're gonna look out for each other. I'm gonna take care of your family. If anything happens to you, you're gonna take care of my family if anything happens to me. And so he says, you know, if you're not going to honor that, he said, um, don't hand me over to your father. Um, Just kill me yourself. Never, Jonathan said. If I had the least inkling that my father was determined to harm you, wouldn't I tell you? David said, who will tell me if your father answers harshly? 
Come, Jonathan said, let's go out into the field. So they went out there together. And then Jonathan said to David, by the Lord, the God of Israel, I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he's favorably disposed toward you, will I not send you word and let you know? Then you can come and join us at the, at the feast. But if my father is inclined to harm you, may the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if I do not let you know and send you away safely. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father, but show me unfailing kindness like that of the Lord as long as I live so that I may not be killed. Do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. And even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. You know, there's a, a verse in Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, that commands us to speak the truth in love. The truth may be painful. It may be difficult to hear, but we are commanded to present it as lovingly, as kindly, as redemptively as possible. And that's being accurate. A good friend is accurate. Proverbs 27, verse six in the the King James Version says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Jonathan's saying, if I had any idea that my father would harm you, wouldn't I tell you? Verse nine. A good friend is accurate. Next in the story, we see that a good friend is affirming. Verse 17, and Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. And then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon festival. You will be missed because your seat will be empty. The day after tomorrow, toward evening, Go to the place where you hid when this trouble began and and wait by the stone, Ezel. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I were shooting at a target. And then I will send a boy and say, go and find the arrows. And if I say to him, look, the arrows are on this side of you, bring them here, then come because as surely as the Lord lives, you are safe. There is no danger. But if I say to the boy, look, the arrows are beyond you, then you must go because the Lord has sent you away. And and about the matter you and I discussed, remember the Lord is witness between you and me forever. So David hid in the field and when the new moon festival came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall uh, opposite Jonathan, his son, and Abner, his general, who sat next to Saul, but David's place was empty. Saul said nothing that day for he thought, well, something must have happened to David to make him ceremonially unclean. Surely he's unclean. He'll be here tomorrow. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again. And then Saul said to his son, Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? And Jonathan answered, David earnestly asked me permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because our family's observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I have found favor in your eyes, let me go away to see my brothers. 
And that's why he has not come to the king's table. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. I think we can all translate that. We know pretty much what he was, was meaning there. Don't, I, don't you know that you've sided with the son of Jesse? He can't even say his name. He hates David so much he won't even speak his name. To your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you, as long as, here it is again, the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. There's that old M.O. again, uh, hurling the spear, trying to impale, this time his, his very own son. And then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. I think he really means business here. <laughs> yeah, I'm slow, but I'm, I'm finally getting that. So Jonathan hadn't wanted to believe that about his own father, but now he had no other option. Well, a good friend is affirming. We, we're all familiar with that famous painting of the praying hands called Folded Hands. And Albrecht, Albrecht Durer was a, a poor struggling artist and a friend of his who also aspired to be an artist, made an agreement with Doerr. And the friend offered to do manual labor to earn their living while Doerr studied and painted. And then later it was planned that the other should have a chance to go to art school and, and learn to paint. But when success came to Doerr, his friend's hands had become so twisted and so stiff from the manual labor that he could no longer paint. Well, one day, seeing his friend's work-worn hands folded in prayer, Dura decided, I can never give back the lost skill of those hands, but how I can show my feelings of love and gratitude by painting those hands as they are now folded in prayer to show my appreciation for a noble and unselfish character. A good friend is affirming. It says in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Gail Sayers and, and Brian Piccolo were NFL teammates over 40 years ago. And one was black and, and one was white. They were unlikely as a pair to become like brothers, but they did. And, and Brian Piccolo waged a courageous battle with cancer. And the following video clip is, is from the movie Brian's Song, and I, I want you to listen carefully to the words of his friend Gail Sayers' acceptance speech when presented with the George S. Hallis Man of Courage Award. I'd like to say a few words about a guy I know, a friend of mine. His name is Brian Piccolo, and he has the heart of a giant, and that rare form of courage which allows him to kid himself and his opponent, cancer. He has a mental attitude which makes me proud to have a friend who spells out courage 24 hours a day, every day of his life. Now you flatter me, 
by giving me this award. But I say to you here now, Brian Piccolo is the man of courage who should receive the George S. Hallis Award. He's mine tonight. And Brian Piccolo is tomorrow. I love Brian Piccolo. And I'd like all of you to love him, too. And tonight, you hit your knees. Please ask God to love him. Brian Piccolo, I'd like for all of you to love him too. And tonight, when you hit your knees, please ask God to love him. Two men of different races, playing as NFL teammates, love one another as brothers. A brother is born for adversity. So let's review. This passage teaches us that a good friend is available, that a good friend is accurate. A good friend is affirming. And finally, a good friend is abiding. Verse 34, Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger on that second day of the month. He did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. Notice he wasn't focused on himself. His his own father had hurled a spear at him and he was more focused on the injustice to his friend David. In the morning, Jonathan went out to the field for his meeting with David and he had a small boy with him. He said to the boy, run and find the arrows I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called out after him, isn't the arrow beyond you? And he shouted, hurry, go quickly, don't stop. The boy picked up the arrow, returned to his master. The boy knew nothing of all this. Only Jonathan and David knew the signal. Then Jonathan gave his weapon to the boy and said, go carry them back to town. And after the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together. This was a Middle Eastern final farewell kiss, and David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. And then David left, and Jonathan went back to town, and they never saw each other again. I love the definition of a friend. A friend is someone who walks in when everybody else walks out. When David rose to power as king, he didn't walk out on his promise to Jonathan. 
Instead, he sought an opportunity to, good, to do good to Jonathan's descendants. He asked, are there any of his people in need? David really didn't need to do anything after the way Jonathan's father Saul had treated him. It was within David's power and imperial right to wipe out any remaining descendants of his predecessor or make their lives miserable. That isn't what David did. He was seeking God's heart. And so he learned about Mephibosheth, a crippled son of his friend Jonathan, this outcast who was physically disabled and was forced to beg for bread in the streets. And and David summoned him to the palace. When he learned about his his plight, he he brought him in. And he said, don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and, and said, what is your servant that you should notice a, a dead dog like me? Yeah. His self-esteem was, was devastated and he had this physical disability, was ashamed of his grandfather and his father has, has died and he's at this low ebb of his life. And then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table, David said. So Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So his farmhands took over that property and cultivated and, and brought those crops in and gave this perpetual place of honor to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. And so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. The loyalty of David and Jonathan sets a standard for our friendships. Proverbs, 28, Proverbs 18, 24 says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. David and Jonathan, we have sworn friendship with each other forever, verse 42. In his book, Quality Friendship, Gary Enrig writes, out of the furnaces of war come many true stories of sacrificial friendship. One such story is of two friends who during World War I were inseparable. They had enlisted together, trained together, were shipped overseas together, fought side by side in the trenches. And during an attack, one of the men was critically wounded in a field filled with barbed wire obstacles, making it unable to crawl back again to his foxhole. The entire area was under a a withering enemy crossfire and it was suicidal to try to reach him. Yet his friend decided to try. Before he could get out of his own trench, his sergeant yanked him back inside and ordered him not to go. It's too late. You can't do him any good. You only get yourself killed. 
A few minutes later, when the officer turned his back, instantly the man was gone after his friend. A few months later, he staggered back, mortally wounded, with his friend, now dead in his arms. And the sergeant was both angry and deeply moved. What a waste, he blurted out. He's dead and you're dying. Now I've lost you both. It just wasn't worth it. With his last breath, the dying man replied, oh, yes, it was, Sarge. When I got to him, the only thing he said was, I knew you'd come, Jim. One of the marks of a true friend is that he is there when there is every reason for him not to be. That's the kind of loyalty that Jonathan and David shared, and and it's the mark of a godly friendship. A friend is someone who walks in when everybody else walks out. This week, be a good friend to the hurting, to the hopeless, to the friendless. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we, we come to you right now and We thank you for this timeless message. Although 3,000 years ago when it happened, uh, it still has a relevance and a freshness for the the encounters that we will have later today to be friends. And so may this time that we have spent in your presence sharpen us to be better friends, to represent you to our friends. And Lord, we we thank you for Jesus, that friend who sticks closer than a brother. It's in his name that we pray.